Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. You can find out more by visiting the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We have a terrific guest for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to continue our conversation on immigration policy and law. We'll visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Olives. He always has very provocative and interesting comments to make about what's happening in current events. And then Larry Bell will be joining us. He is author of Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. That's his latest of seven books. He's also an endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and had played a big part in our space program back in the day. I look forward to our conversation with him about defend, not defunding the police. It is June the 17th, and on this day in 1775, British General Thomas Gage landed his troops on Charlestown Peninsula overlooking Boston and uh, led them against Breed's Hill, a fortified American position just below Bunker Hill on the, this day in 1775. As the British advanced in columns against the Americans, American General William Prescott reportedly told his men, don't one of you fire until you see the whites of their eyes. When the Redcoats were within 40 yards, the Americans let loose with a lethal, lethal barrage of musket fire, throwing the British into retreat. After reforming his lines, Gage attacked again with much the same result. Prescott's men were now low in ammunition, though, and uh, Gage led his men up the hill for the third time. They reached the, uh, the redoubts and uh, engaged the Americans in hand-to-hand combat. The outnumbered Americans were forced to retreat. However, by the end of the engagement, the Patriots' gunfire had cut down nearly 1,000 enemy troops, including 92 officers. Of the 370 Patriots who fell, most were were struck while in retreat. The British won the so-called Battle of Bunker Hill, and Breed's Hill and Charlestown Peninsula fell firmly under British control. Despite losing their strategic positions, the battle was a morale builder for the Americans, convincing them that patriotic dedication could overcome superior British military might. The British entered the Battle of Bunker Hill overconfident. They had merely guarded Charlestown Neck. They could have isolated the Patriots with little loss of life. Instead, Gage had chose to try to wipe out the Yankees by marching on 2,400 men in a frontal assault on the Patriots' well-defended position on top of the hill. The British would never make the same mistake again. Great story and uh, pretty kind of personal to me. I uh, my last position and with American Express Financial Advisors was in Charlestown Harbor, so I know the area quite well. Well, COVID nineteen cases in Collier County reached two thousand seven hundred and twenty nine, fourteen hundred and sixteen Hispanics, and uh, one thousand one hundred and seventy eight. In Immokalee, so that's kind of the hot spot in Collier County is Immokalee, and I suspect mostly Hispanic. 284 people in Collier County have been hospitalized. That's a number that's not growing much, and of course, many of those have been released. The death toll remains at 60, with 2,126 tested. So what I'm contending of this small sample here, and I haven't checked it out across the nation or in Florida, but uh, we're seeing a massive increase in testing, and that constantly to more uh, positive results. More people have COVID-19, but that doesn't necessarily mean we're having another wave. It just means that testing is increasing, in my view. So I I found this column in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, The data's in. It's time for a major reopening. The column uh, used a concept called value of statistical life, which I found very interesting, VSL, used by government agencies to evaluate proposals and projects. VSL is estimated by observing how much extra pay workers require to accept dangerous jobs. So here's the conclusion of the column. I don't want to but the last couple of paragraphs are quite enlightening. Rather than validating draconian lockdown orders, the latest economic research on COVID-19 suggests that total distancing efforts in general and shelter-in-place measures in particular have done much more harm than good. 
That doesn't mean that all such measures should be abandoned. To socially distance or not to socially distance is not the question. The question should be what policies actually make sense. To address that, a team of economists from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology recently published their results of a study that compared various alternative strategies for limiting the spread of COVID-19. They concluded that twice as many lives could be saved if governments focused limited resources on protecting the most vulnerable people rather than squandering them on all those who seem to face almost no risk, such as children. The emerging consensus on costs and benefits support the view that population-wide lockdowns should end. So we're seeing a spike in cases. Why? Massive increases in testing. Focus on hotspots in the vulnerable and open up the economy. That, by the way, is the position of the president, which I really admire. He's basically saying we've learned now what what we're dealing with, and we're not going to close down the economy. Again, we're simply going to focus on the hotspots. And I like the fact, fact that he's having this rally in Oklahoma on Saturday. I think he's leading and demonstrating that it's time to open up. Here's a question. Are you happy? If you're a little irritable and unhappy, well, you're not alone. Folks in the United States are more unhappy today than they've been in 50 years. This bold yet unsurprising conclusion comes from the COVID response tracking study conducted by NORC at the University of Chicago. It finds that just 14% of American adults say they're very happy, down from 31% who said the same thing in 2018. That year, 23% said they'd often or sometimes felt isolated in recent weeks. Now, 50% say that. The survey, conducted in late May, draws on nearly a half-century of research from the General Social Survey, which has collected data on American attitudes and behaviors at least every other year since 1972. No less than 29% of Americans have ever called themselves very happy in the survey. No less than 29%. It's now down to 14%. Most of the new survey interviews were completed before the death of George Floyd, touched off nationwide protests, so you can imagine what impact this might have on happiness around the United States. The uh, margin of sampling error is about 2.9%, so it's not significant in what we're seeing in terms of trending. Of course, in my opinion, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is a state of mind, not a state of affairs, but certainly State of affairs can affect how we think, and that's exactly what's happening. Well, U.S. equity markets soared yesterday after retail sales gained the most on record, rebounding from April and following a report that President Trump is considering a $1 trillion infrastructure plan. Now, we don't have the money, but it certainly would be so positive. I mean, he's complained about the status of our airports and our infrastructure for a long time, and I think he's really had this in mind since he became president. It's one of the top uh, priorities that he has. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, when advanced 526 points, or 2.04%, Giving up some of its earlier gains, S&P was up about 1.9 and the NASDAQ 1.75%. Retail sales jumped 17.7% in May, more than doubling the 8% increase the analysts surveyed by were anticipating. That's pretty impressive. The pre- uh, data prompted a tweet from the president, says, looks like a big day for stock market and jobs, he said. Also driving markets, the president's reported infrastructure proposal, as I've mentioned. Uh, President Trump signed an executive order at the White House on Tuesday to improve policing standards after the George Floyd protests. It was pretty impressive. What's needed now is not more uh, stoking of more fear and division. We need to bring law enforcement and communities closer together, said the president. This was in the Rose Garden. He acknowledged the pain felt by black communities after meeting privately at the White House with families of Americans killed by law enforcement. That was pretty impressive. Uh, The reports back from them was he was very empathetic and very appropriate. Happy to hear that. Your loved ones will not have died in vain, Trump said to the families. We're one nation. We grieve together and we heal together. I can never imagine your pain or the depth of your anguish. I can promise to fight for justice for all our people, he said. The president also stood with police officers and members of law enforcement recalling their acts of heroism to protect American people and lives that were lost in the process. 
Americans know the truth, President said. Without police, there is chaos. Without law, there is anarchy. And without safety, there is catastrophe, he said. The presently strongly opposed calls for uh, left uh, to defund police departments, noting that reducing crime and raising police enforcement standards were not opposite goals. We have to find common ground, but I strongly oppose the radical and dangerous efforts to defund, dismantle, and dissolve our police departments, he said. It was a pretty impressive uh, presentation, <clears throat> and uh, he signed the executive order, which essentially is, uh, eliminates, for example, chokeholds unless it's an extremely dangerous uh, situation. Also requires a database to track police officers who repeatedly violate excessive force guidelines. Uh, it basically, he said also that if, if in fact, the, these, uh, this order is not followed, he's asked the uh, uh, Attorney General Barr to defund uh, any federal money that might go to these police departments. So that's the teeth in the entire equation on this. Pretty impressive. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Uh, by the way, uh, he also mentioned that he expects legislation, further legislation for the Senate and the House in order to beef up other things that are needed for uh, modern-day police work. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. He is the uh, chairman of the Cato Institute and a constitutional scholar. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And, you know, they have great education programs. They've also got a great season lined out of productions. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.com. 
www.dodd.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, a Dodd professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, he's a constitutional scholar. He's an author. He's also the chairman of a terrific organization, the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank you. Tell us about the Cato Institute, Bob. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Thank you, Bob. A great organization. Now, uh, we were having a conversation about immigration. We picked up a little bit by the, the riots last week in the death of uh, a guy in Minneapolis. But right now, I want to continue the conversation on immigration and uh, let's pick up with what about unemployment among immigrants? Um, interestingly, the unemployment rate is lower for foreign-born workers than for U.S.-born workers. And uh, illegal immigrants actually participate in the labor force at a higher rate than legal immigrants. And legal immigrants participate at a higher rate than the native-born. Hmm. Over half of the illegals are working on the books paying income and payroll taxes. Of course, that means the other half is working off the books hmm. and not paying income and payroll taxes. That is so interesting. So let me, if I could just repeat that, what, what I hear you saying is that illegal immigrants have a higher employment rate than legal immigrants who have a higher employment rate than uh, uh, other Americans. That's right. And by employment rate, I mean the <clears throat> the participation in the labor force. What percentage of the working age um, persons are actually participating in the labor force, meaning that they're either working or they're actively looking for work. So interesting. So don't immigrants take jobs from other Americans? Well, the dollars earned by these immigrants uh, are spent uh, for food, and for clothing, for shelter. So that increases domestic demand. And by increasing domestic demand, it increases domestic employment. Mm -hmm. So there's no question that there are transitory job losses with people uh, shifting jobs. Some of those losses are offset by job gains from people that are you know, going to work elsewhere. And, and, of course, there's a significant benefit to consumers, uh, especially the middle class, when the cost of goods and services is reduced because uh, the immigrants are less expensive. And it, it's not so much that illegal immigrants are needed to fill the jobs that legal residents won't do, um, because there's no job that can't be filled if you're willing to pay enough. Mm -hmm. But, of course, commodity prices are set on world markets, so if, if wages rise enough to entice Americans to do unpleasant jobs, uh, then the prices here will rise correspondingly, and consumers will simply import more goods from abroad, and that'll mean fewer jobs in the U.S. So there is there is a sense that the, the illegal immigrants who are willing to work at, uh, for a lower wage are indeed fulfilling an economic need. Interesting. So on balance, do immigrants make us better off or worse off? Well, I think they make us a better nation if you... Uh, 55% uh, of the master's degrees, 63% of PhDs in uh, electrical engineering go to foreign-born uh, students. Um, about a quarter of the new tech companies have a foreign-born CEO or head technology guy. Uh, those companies produce $50 billion or so in sales. They generate almost a half a million jobs. Uh, in Silicon Valley, more than half of the new startups are immigrant uh, founded. Mm -hmm. And in a typical year, about 25% of our patent applications are from foreign uh, uh, nationals. So uh, uh, the, uh, the evidence is that each new foreign-born worker, in science and technology in particular, adds about two and a half jobs uh, for U.S. natives. So I think the, the uh, employment picture is a pretty good one uh, with respect to immigration. As you, absolutely, Bob. The question for me kind of gets muddled with what's legal and what's illegal in terms of these immigrants and how they contribute. Uh, and uh, But nevertheless, I mean, I think all of us would agree that we need to have immigration in this country. Otherwise, our population is going to decrease. It's going to lead to uh, uh, economic problems, not only uh, social problems, but economic problems as well. 
So there have to be appropriate restrictions, and there have to be a reasonable treatment of uh, immigrants. And <clears throat> and given that we have that, then immigrants will make a, a net contribution to our society. Because yeah. what we can't have is is uh, lawlessness, and uh, and that uh, that's the trade off we are always involved in. Yeah. So, which leads us to the question about Obama's executive orders related to the so-called uh, Dreamers. Can you tell us about it? Uh, yeah, he yeah, has set the stage back to um, the Obama administration, 2007 and 2011. Congress twice rejected the Dream Act, which would have provided, um, well, it would have provided some increase in, in uh, funding for border security. But but for the Dreamers, it would have provided a path to citizenship for selected children of illegal immigrants. Then in in 2012, Rubio proposed a light version of the DREAM Act, which would have granted legal residency, but not citizenship. And then Congress rejected the Rubio version. So meanwhile, President Obama issues an executive order that effectively implements uh, the light version, Rubio's version, of the DREAM Act. And he called it DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. And then he issued a second executive order that expanded DACA to include some adults. Uh, the net result of which was about five and a half illegal million illegal immigrants uh, could apply for work permits and three years relief from uh, deportation if they met certain uh, certain criteria. So Obama tried to implement by executive order what Congress refused three times to implement. Seems like executive overreach. So what did the courts say about Obama's executive order on DACA? Well, to his dismay, a federal judge uh, in Texas temporarily halted the second executive order, the one that expanded it to cover some adults, and stated, and this is a quote from the decision, this is a complete abdication of government's duties to enforce the laws as written. Not simply inadequate enforcement, but an unannounced program of non-enforcement that contradicts Congress's goals. So the, the court concluded that Obama could not unilaterally uh, grant work permits and welfare to illegals without going through a formal rulemaking by a regulatory agency. And then when the Supreme Court weighed in after Scalia had died, but before Gorsuch uh, was confirmed, the court deadlocked at 4-4. Hmm. So that left this temporary injunction against DACA uh, in place. Uh, so interesting. So uh, Trump took another uh, run at it, though. What did the court say about Trump's executive order on DACA? So, so Obama was left with a temporary injunction uh, that said he couldn't implement DACA. And then Trump tried to end it permanently. Um, <clears throat> and, however, in 2017, federal judges uh, enjoined Trump's order uh, based similarly on the failure to follow these, these formal rulemaking uh, procedures, and then the Supreme Court uh, declined to intervene. A year later, a federal judge in D.C. ordered the administration to accept new DACA huh. uh, applications. And so that prompted yet another lawsuit by seven state attorneys general seeking to bar these new permits, uh, DACA permits, on the ground that executive uh, order by Obama wasn't authorized by Congress. Now, this is all percolating up, and it's now pending. We're waiting for a decision as we speak in the Supreme Court uh, in a case called Department of Human Services versus University of California and a uh, consolidated case called Trump versus NAACP. And it's whether the uh, Homeland Security's decision to wind down, Trump's decision to wind down DACA, is lawful as an executive order. And we've argued that DACA was unconstitutionally implemented by Obama's executive order, and Trump can validly annul an unconstitutional prior executive act. Uh, but the court may determine, we'll know in a few days, that even though he could have done so, he did so without going through, jumping through the necessary hoops. So interesting, Bob Levy. Again, the chairman of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit Cato.org. Bob, I'd like to pick this up next week. I genuinely appreciate your uh, coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Uh, thank you so much. All right, coming up, uh, we're going to visit with Andrew Java. He's author of Josephus of Oz, professor at Mercy College. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. So uh, I'd like to start off by a question about Senator Tim Kaine. He said that, you know what, we are so shameful, we actually invented slavery. Or something to that effect. Well, I, I think it's worth discussing because I think it highlights the absolute ignorance of, of most Americans, unfortunately, as it pertains to uh, to slavery. Uh, Tim Kaine's remarks, that, that as you highlighted, that uh, we didn't inherit slavery, we invented it. Uh, absurd, that picks up the same theme as the Time 1619 project, which is uh, says that America built its entire existence on the concept of slavery. Uh, Kaine's remarks, of course, have to ignore entirely the the prior history of, of most of the civilized world going back 5,000 years, uh, and obviously he, he does that. He ignores that the issue of, of African slavery had nothing to do, per se, with race or certainly racism. It had to do with availability, uh, had to do with physical attributes of, of Africans as it pertained to the, uh, the, the needs of the agricultural world in, in the not so much North America, but uh, more so Central and South America. Most of the 12 million um, Africans who were, were turned into slaves, unfortunately, uh, most went into Central and South America. Only about 350,000 uh, actually came to North America. I'm not trying to diminish that, but this was primarily a South American phenomenon, not a North American phenomenon. Hmm. Uh, if we look at the slaves themselves, uh, there's every reason to believe, although I can't document this, that many of the slaves themselves were probably slave owners in Africa prior to becoming slaves. I only say that because it was such a, uh, a common feature of, of of, of African tribal culture at that point in time. I, I would say, without chance, any chance of really being wrong, that uh, the slaves, although slavery is an entirely horrible state of being to, to be immersed in, no doubt, 
Uh, but again, the slaves themselves probably saw no problem with institutional slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not trying to diminish the institution of slavery. Uh, I am just trying to suggest that Tim Kaine's remarks were, were not intended to, uh, to shed any light on the issue. They were, again, Democrat leftist remarks to, uh, to create heat, to create more anti-Americanism, to create more guilt in the American community. Uh, and I think that's what, what Tim Kaine was, was all about. And that is unfortunate mm-hmm. that a senator of the United States was so deeply immersed in trying to damage this country from the well of the Senate, Bob. You know, it, it is, well, just the abject ignorance uh, and not lack of understanding of world history and slavery that's going on today, for crying out loud, is just unbelievable. So, uh, And it's also in the context of the fact that uh, our Constitution says that we all should be free. It took a civil war in order and some uh, some constitutional amendments in order to correct the fallacies that are in our Constitution. They have been corrected. I just can't understand why you know, he doesn't understand the whole notion that we're supposed to be free and treated as individuals. Well, I, I would make the point that Tim Kaine totally understands. I think what he was doing was contriving a comment uh, that he knew would get uh, uh, press coverage and further alienate so many Americans to, uh, to this country, which we've seen in great abundance over the last several months, obviously. Uh, so I think it's, it's an unfortunate circumstance. And um, I, when it comes from a, a major political figure like Tim Kaine, uh, I think we're looking at something that is uh, dangerous to this country, obviously. If we link that together with, with other issues that, that are taking place uh, in, the, in the last week or so, uh, for example, Bob, the, the shooting of, of Rayshard Brooks. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I'll make the, the, the comment, which is obvious. Any killing of any human being is, is, is unacceptable. The news headlines say things like the killing of Rayshard Brooks was a homicide, as if there is some revealing statement about devious or inappropriate intent. The word homicide merely means that there was a killing of a human by another human. Mm-hmm. It suggests nothing about the, uh, the the reason for it or whether it has any degree of, of legality. Mm-hmm. If we look at the way the police were dealing with Rayshard Brooks at the Wendy's in Atlanta, they were dealing with him politely, almost amicably, you might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they followed through on the process of normal police activity, which is you, you uh, establish a level of, uh, of alcohol that uh, makes this person a drunk driver. You hand cuff them, you bring them into the station, you book them, and then you release them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is exactly what would have happened to Rayshard Brooks, and the video documents that. It was Rayshard Brooks' behavior that drove this entire process, his, his resistance to being handcuffed. You can see him fighting uh, with, with the police on the ground. You can see him grabbing uh, a, a stun gun. You can see him firing the stun gun. I won't comment on, on whether or not the shooting was justified, because that is a very uh, a technical thing in terms of Georgia law. But I would say that what, what is being ignored in this whole situation is no reason to believe that the shooting of Rayshard Brooks was racially motivated any more than it was racially motivated with the killing of, of George Floyd. What we're also seeing is the total absence of any discussion as it pertains to behavior uh, in these particular issues. Uh, if if Rayshard uh, Brooks had just... Uh, done what he should have done in terms of being confronted in a police situation, a perfectly justified situation, uh, Rayshard Brooks would be alive today. Yeah. Uh, again, I don't want to go any further than that, but I think we have to bring in behavior and we have to bring in the fact this was not racially motivated, at least by any measurement we can apply, Bob. Well, and there's also a warrant out for his arrest. And he probably, and I'm inferring from this by his behavior, but he probably realized that he was going to be put in jail for a long time if, in fact, he cooperated with the police and probably figured my only chance is to run. You know, it seems to me... Uh, I was stopped by the police because uh, they said I uh, ran a stop sign. I don't believe I did. But nevertheless, I got out of the car. The officer said, uh, do not get out of the car. (laughs) (laughs) I did something wrong, apparently. And I I just I thought that's what I should do. I, I did the wrong thing. My point is this. We should when you're confronted by the police, they're in a dangerous situation. You're in a dangerous situation. Be cooperative. Keep your hands on the wheel and, uh, you know, answer the questions. Do whatever the police officer asks you. It's you know, he doesn't want anything bad to happen. Neither do you. But the point is, uh, you have to be cooperative. If you're not cooperative, it's going to escalate. and You're going to put yourself in bed. And I don't care if you're white or black. I, absolutely. Well, of course, in your situation, you're a very dangerous-looking character, but I, I, so I would totally understand the police reaction to you. Uh, 
you know, I, I heard one of the uh, racial activists in Atlanta talking about Rayshard Brooks, and uh, they said, well, as soon as, as Brooks was being handcuffed, he knew the police were going to kill him. Uh, so uh, I'm saying, well, my goodness, the uh, the black community uh, is is being educated. Young black men are being educated to believe that any contact with the police will result in some imminent threat to their lives. Uh, so this is going to do nothing more than provoke these type of behaviors, which will result in uh, in further levels of violence. Uh, the police, you know, certainly if there's reforms that can be applied that would enable the police to do their job keep their lives safe, keep the public safe, and yet we could reform certain actions. I don't think anyone has any, any problem with that. When we're talking about the absurdity of this uh, defunding action that is being uh, suggested uh, across the United States and many cities, this is, this is absurd. It is, the, it is not only tantamount to anarchy, it will be anarchy, it will be chaos. And yeah. uh, these, are, these are dangerous suggestions. They sound like they're only limited in their impact or implication, uh, but I, I, I fear that as time goes on, these things will become uh, bigger and more prevalent in our, in our culture. Well, we're watching uh, evolution in our, not revolution, but evolution in our culture right now with some very dangerous indicators that could lead to revolution, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I will say this, though. I think, uh, just following up the point that I just made, I think uh, there should be some public service announcements uh, everywhere instructing people on how to behave when you're confronted by the police, and this will be for white people, black people, all people, because uh, I think there's some ignorance there, and if you, if, yeah, I think it would help educate the public and help the, you know, help the police actually do their jobs. Bob, you're absolutely correct, but what you just suggested, if it was implemented, would be rejected as being nothing more than uh, police apologists for their behavior, uh, and you're trying to shift the blame to the victim. I'm, I'm not agreeing with that, obviously. I'm just saying that yeah. is what would happen if what you just suggested was brought into the, the public arena. That's but it a- certainly is appropriate, but it... it it would obviously be rejected. Right. Black Lives Matter, which I regard as one of the most dangerous organizations in America, I, I just saw the approval rating on Black Lives Matter is, is at 52%, wow. uh, which is amazing considering they're anti-white, anti-police, anti-American, anti-Semitic. Uh, and yet this group maintains a 52% approval rating. Uh, Black Lives Matter had their origins in the uh, in the Trayvon Martin shooting, which they uh, which they stirred into be, being something that it never was a a racial killing. Uh, they then built this on the Michael Brown shooting in Ferguson again, uh, taking a perfectly justified shooting of Michael Brown and turning it into a racial provocation. Right now, uh, Black Lives Matter gains its strength, its influence, its power by threatening the lives, the livelihood, if not the lives. Uh, of people. We could see that with uh, uh, Drew Brees in the NFL, quarterback for the uh, New Orleans Saints, a good man, a, a man who was uh, donated tremendous amounts of money to, uh, to charities in, in New Orleans, uh, a man who has helped the black community immeasurably, and yet he was, was cowed into uh, backing away from his support of, of not kneeling for the, for the national anthem, uh, and has actually made some derogatory comments about President Trump. The man is, is terrified, yeah. as is the entire NFL, Bob. Uh, right now we'll go into the NFL season in September, where not only will the NFL allow the kneeling, but they will actually encourage the kneeling during the national anthem. Unbelievable. My, so, Andy, you want to take a little break here? Could you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink, as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there.
Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's uh, brought to you in part by the Florida Citizens Alliance. I just uh, moderated a forum for Collier County Commission candidates yesterday, and uh, you can find it online. You can go to uh, flcaction.org, flcaction.org. You'll find a link uh, to the hour-and-a-half program, and it uh, gives you a great opportunity to find out who the candidates are who would like to serve as commissioners uh, here in Cuyahoga County. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Bell. Right now, we have continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Well, Andy, I've got to turn up your microphone so you can talk to us. <laughs> I apologize. Oh, Welcome oh, to the show. Thank I will say it again. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much, Andy. So, uh, well, we've talked about some of the problems and the the uh, symptoms that we see of a of evolving society. Uh, you know, and certainly the threat to uh, free speech, the ability to express oneself, as you mentioned about Drew Drew Brees. What's causing all this? Well, I think the the most obvious immediate cause is the the absolute need in their minds to defeat President Donald Trump. That's uh, that's uh, that's the immediate focus. But I think there are uh, larger issues over the long term for these people. They are trying, obviously, to gain control of this country. Uh, I believe that the uh, the black radicals and. I, let me differentiate black radical from the black community. The black community is, is a community like any other community. They, uh, they work hard. They do their job. So this isn't about the black community. This is about black radicals that are being instigated uh, by, I'm going to say, let me use the word, by international communism. I know that's, that's just a, not a popular thing to say. But I think what we're talking about is a, an external influence that is driving this with the intent, first of all, of defeating Donald Trump, uh, secondly, to uh, to over the long haul turn America into uh, into a socialist utopia as as they would have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we're looking at that. This is also being supported, I might add, by groups that are called in the media Republican groups. For example, um, Link, the Lincoln Project, uh, under the the leadership of uh, a severe anti-Trumper, George Conway has recently said yesterday, I believe, uh, that President Trump is physically not fit for the presidency, uh, because he had some issues at, at West Point during his commencement address, totally ignoring that there was a man hiding in his basement uh, who essentially, uh, by every measurement, physically and mentally, is not fit. Let us measure Donald Trump as time goes on by his ability to articulate ideas, deliver those in a rational fashion, which certainly uh, yeah. he has done. I see no reason to believe there's any problem with this man. But Donald Trump must be destroyed. He is in their minds, the last man standing for America. Uh, and in many ways, that is, that is true. Now, there are certainly some, uh, some field support that the President Trump gets, but it's, it's few and far between. The Republican Party is, is silent on almost all of these issues. They play uh, a gentleman's game of politics when they're playing, uh, playing against street fighters in the Democrat Party. So we're looking at a situation where there's only one side fighting. We're looking at the need to defeat the great president, Donald Trump. And again, the longer term is to uh, create a socialist government and country uh, in America. Many of those things to the uninformed. And let me make a point about the uninformed. I've been talking to several liberals over the last few weeks. Their, their amount of ignorance is appalling, Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, people on the, on the right, conservatives, as we might position ourselves, we are inundated with the, with the uh, ideas, the ideology of the left. So we know who they are. 
On the other hand, the people on the left, the average citizen, knows nothing about who President Trump is, what he's done, what he's accomplished, how we feel. We are we are vilified into being misogynists and racist and uh, those people who hate. There isn't a, the slightest hint of that right. within the actions of the Republican Party or the average Republican citizen. No, that's so well said. And I must say there's there's the irony here is that I think I'll speak for myself, even though I'm doing this show. I mean, I, I think out in public with people, you have to be careful what you say because you know that you could uh, – push a button for somebody and they could uh, be very upset about your politics. And uh, yet, you see, a million people wanted to go see the president in Oklahoma. There's, I mean, there's, there's an irony there. I'm sure they're not vocal necessarily in public, but they certainly want to participate in what's happening with this president because he actually is our last and best hope to defeat what you've described here, which is through Black Lives Matter, the Democrat Party, and so forth, the evolution of our, our society into uh, socialism. I, I just want a, a free country, and a free country is not necessarily a pleasant country, if I might. Right. Free people do things and say things that aren't necessarily pleasant. Freedom is a, uh, is, a, is, a, is a tough piece of work for many people. And what we're trying to do, essentially, is eliminate freedom so no one's sensitivities are violated, so nothing ever challenges them to contemplate their own role and their own negative life outcomes. Uh, this is a, this is a very dangerous process because it's it's essentially inescapable at this point, as you've alluded to. The media, uh, academia, high tech, uh, certainly the the Washington bureaucracy are all um, echoing this theme. There's this co- uh, coordinated uh, conspiratorial, I might say, Bob, uh, activity that is all geared towards destroying the president of the united states yeah yeah so what i mean we should have uh, again freedom for the just take a look at the preamble of the constitution you should take a look at the the uh, declaration of independence and understand that it's all about uh we are free and the government is limited and has enumerated powers among them to keep us safe from internal and external predators doesn't go much beyond that and uh frankly uh, i'm just very concerned about that aspect of it, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and other things going down, uh, it's certainly under attack right now, Andy. I'd I, I just like to see the Republican Party do its job to stand up for the Constitution, stand up for law as it's been uh, written, and, and uh, make this a, uh, a livable country for, for the average citizen, both black and white. Yeah. Andy, just genuinely appreciate your comment here. You get Andy's book is uh, Josephus of Oz, off-topic for today's discussion, but an outstanding read, Josephus of Oz. Andy, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk soon, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston of Space Architecture. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tammy Amy Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com. 
time to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you, Bart. I'd just like to do a shout-out for St. Matthew's House and the great work that they do, stmatthewshouse.org. Uh, visit their businesses and uh, make a contribution for the homeless and for the needy. Also, uh, Lulabee's Grill just doing a great job. Open for breakfast or lunch now. I hope you'll visit them at the Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. He's also the author of uh, several books, his latest is a, a book on, it's called Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor. And uh, your latest column in Newsmax uh, is called Defend, Not Defund the Police. I think this is just in such an important state, and maybe you could uh, tell us about it. Well, I think it's something we all, most all of us, feel the sense of, you know, of course, it's tragic when when people do really terrible things. And we have a population of 320 million people in this country, and we have lots and lots of police who who you know face you know very depressing experiences every day. And there's no excuse for what happened. You know, the the murder of Floyd was uh, you know was it was horrific, and it was endlessly played on television and it's made us nauseous every time we saw it. You know, it's a terrible thing. And then seeing three other police officers kind of passively standing by and so on. It was, <clears throat> so these kinds of things happen. They shouldn't happen. They're terrible. But to, to single them out as a, as an excuse for unlawfulness and, and, and destruction and, and protests are, are one thing, of course, we all recognize that. Burning and looting would seem to have little to do with that. And uh, and my my sadness goes to, and, and also it's more than sadness, it's a sense of insecurity that goes with with the fact that we're, when you when you vilify the police, and, and I think most people would agree, A, you know, police... You're darn glad when they're there when you need them, mm-hmm. and and they have families and they and they 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 deal with so many you know spousal abuse issues and child neglect issues and drunken disorder issues and and every time they stop a, a car for some reason you never you know you're not entirely sure that the the driver doesn't have some malice or weapon or whatever. And and to think of the morale hit on the police, and to think that so many of them are going to very logically, and then I think there's indications they're already leaving the force. They want to. They, they're tired of the disrespect. Uh, it's a very dangerous thing that's happening, and I think it's political. I think it's. I think there are people that will use any kind of crisis or, or issue to make a political statement. Mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just think it's egregious and sad. It is indeed. I just don't know how you can serve as a police officer facing all the things that you just enumerated and then have the public not behind you and not supporting you. And how about your elected officials who are supposed to be there and defend you who are not defend and not supporting you as well? Uh, this is this is a real problem, and I think it's going to be a real. In fact, you've pointed out in your column the spike in crime that we've already seen in these communities where we've seen this violence. Yeah, and there's a. I can't help but think of. I think of the election coming up, and I think that's, of course, I think a lot of this is motivated by that. Anyway, mm-hmm. I think that order and security is very important. You know, they're very important to us, to, for our children for our lives, and I think of someone getting into the voting booth. And you think, okay, now you can you can decide. You're choosing between two options, and one one really wants to have order and, and, 
and 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 fairness, but with order and lawless, you know, and so on. And the other is silent on the issue. And and I can't help but believe that people are afraid now to to even use, you know, even refer to Black Lives Matter or you know these other organizations for fear of person of attack. And services are, mm-hmm. and so they they keep. But I don't know. When it comes to the, you know, when you're in the privacy of a voting booth, and you're saying, now, what, you know, security is very, very important. How does that affect voting? You, can you overcome your, your anger about some tweet that Trump made mm-hmm. and think of the larger picture of the country and, and security and, the, you, know, the, you know, restoring the economy and so on? I hope that the public... Uh, is, is better than that. Well, absolutely. It's been kind of a theme here on the show today, but evolution, almost revolution that we're seeing culturally here in the United States. And again, it's just eroding our individual freedom. And if we, you know, along with freedom, we have to be responsible in order to be, the, the purpose of having government is to protect us from an internal and external predators. That's number one. That's like have government and the very foundation of that eroded by these these movements by black lives matter and others it's just it's incredible and it's 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 destroying i think important community well i don't know anybody and i i think i can say this in all fairness i don't think i know any race any anyone who would speak disparagingly against blacks i don't i don't know anybody like that right you know and and you know i associate with quite a quite a few people i don't know that Systemic racism is really, on, you know, in anyone's mind. You know, I think that, you know, I think that, you know, that's not America. That's not the America I know. And right. and for to, to feel fear of saying anything that would be now politically incorrect, you know, everything has a racist, uh, you know, accused of racism. I saw an article yesterday from an architectural magazine. Let's say, let's not design race, racist buildings anymore. And I thought, oh, my God, <laughs> is there anything? Is there anything in this world? That isn't either about climate change or racism, you know, and it's it's uh, it's insane, Professor. It certainly is. Uh, it's just uh, well, in any event, I think you've made a real contribution here uh, by commenting on defending the police because that's that's really what's essential right now. Is we, you know, I'd like to see some movement to thank the police, to acknowledge the police for the great work for the for the danger that they face each and every day when they get out of bed, go to work. Uh, yeah, it's just, inc- I just don't know how they do. And of course we're, we're beginning to see lots of resignations. Now people who want to move on and move away from policing, by the way, I did see a, a website. This is kind of encouraging. There's a website that uh, tells, uh, current police people and uh, law enforcement officers around the nation where there's good uh, police work being done and where they're being supported. I think, <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. Maybe we'll see in migration not only from New York for citizens dead down to Florida, but maybe good policemen as well. I make it a habit. You know, I was in the military. I wasn't I wasn't in battle, but I was in the military, and very very rarely. But I go through. I go maybe to check in counter, and you know, and I go in the airport, and somebody somebody sees on my driver's license that I served, and they said thank you for my for your service, and it makes me feel good. I mean, it just really makes me feel good, and. And, and and pleased that someone would recognize that. And by the same token, you know, really, when I see policemen in a restaurant or whatever, I invariably thank them for their service. And 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 I know how it makes you feel good. You know, everyone feels good when you when you recognize them, acknowledge them. And yeah. and I just you know, I, I hope your your listeners do this as well. Such such a small, simple token of appreciation. And it really, I think it really makes them to, to know that, you know, people do recognize them and, and respect them and appreciate that they're there when we need them. You know what? I think that's a great note to end the show on, Professor. I think uh, you're just reminding me I haven't done that in a while. And next time I see an officer, I'm going to do exactly that. So I genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Again, you can visit Newsmax.com and see a Professor's Bill column. It's On Point is the name of the column, and it's uh, Defend, Not Defund the Police. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. 
Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure, indeed. And again, his book, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future, is terrific. I've read it. I hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with Keith Law, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. My hope is Byron Donalds will come on. He's our, our current state representative and candidate for Congress. Seat Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and uh, Naples, Naples' former mayor, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are namaste thanks so much for listening to the bob harton show on the bob harton broadcasting network for more information and audio files of previous shows visit www.bobharton.com